0: to reconnect with you. I hope you are doing well. Wow, there is so much that people are talking about these days. Last week, we referenced the recent Netflix series, My Unorthodox Life. This show, of course, broadly criticizes the Jewish Orthodox community, as the protagonist, Julia Hart, explores her decision to leave Orthodoxy. This show actually sparked something very positive in our community. In recent days, there's been a movement of many women speaking out positively about why they choose to be orthodox and in doing so they articulate a very different picture of the orthodox community than the hollywood version believe me these women are a very articulate and formidable group i would not want to get into their crosshairs now to be sure the conversation goes both ways just as there are observant women who write positively about their orthodox lives there's also others who write about negative experiences in the community And that's the reality of the online world. We might not settle battles in social media, but we can engage with the people who will listen. Case in point, this past week, Ben and Jerry's came out with an announcement that they're no longer selling ice cream in the, quote, occupied Palestinian territories. Now, this is very significant because the statement lends support to the BDS movement that seeks to vilify, isolate, and economically terrorize Israel. There was a pro-Israel backlash against Ben and Jerry's, including boycotts spurred by social media, not to mention a counter-backlash from the anti-Zionists. So while we might not solve things by talking online, it's critical that we articulate our beliefs and as we do so, that we do it passionately. As Martin Luther King Jr. said, if you want to change the world, pick up a pen and write And in that light, I want to explore an important part of our Jewish identity that can be lost in the larger society. We Jews are a non-Western tradition with different values than modern or popular culture. Judging Judaism in the eyes of popular culture leads to a lot of mistakes. If you suppose that traditional Judaism is oppressive, say to women, you might conclude that those who observe Torah are oppressed. And in reality, people who uphold the Torah are choosing to do so, be they women or men. It's interesting that back in the days of the Talmud, our rabbis expressed a concern about people converting to Judaism for the sake of marriage. The Gemara says that if a person is motivated to convert for the sake of marriage, their act of conversion might not be sincere. Now, that discussion notwithstanding, over the past 200 years, Halakha has moved away from that concern. And the reason is because in modern society, everyone, hopefully, gets to choose who they want to marry. In the days of the Talmud, the non-Jew could not marry a Jewess without first converting, and perhaps then could convert insincerely. Society has changed dramatically over the past 1,500 years. Today, people in Western society can marry whom they choose. And so if you convert to Judaism even with an interest in a particular Jew, there's no question that you're sincere about your conversion. Now, this halakhic discussion underscores a basic reality of the modern world. People have a choice. We live in an emancipated world, and if you see someone, man or woman, practicing Judaism with passion, they are most likely doing so because they choose to do that. Whoever we are, whatever our level of observance, we all have choices that we make about our lives. And in today's Tara Journey podcast, I want to take a look at a relevant issue in our Parsha, namely matrilineal descent. This topic will prove to be an opportunity to consider how we understand ourselves as Jews, even when we are misunderstood by the society around us. Now, if you're benefiting from the Torah Journey podcast and would like to support our work, my congregation, Kesser Israel, is commissioning the writing of a new Safer Torah. You can support us at any level in this historic project as we bring a new, beautiful Torah into our community. To donate or to learn more, visit us at www.sefertorahpdx.com. That's www.sefertorah followed by the letters pdx for Portland, dot com. A deeper issue with the film and Hollywood in general is the lack of attempt to understand a group of people on its own terms. If you look at Jewish tradition with your own prejudices, you will not understand us. The most critical thing, though, is not that Hollywood gets us, but that we learn to understand and appreciate ourselves and that we find the ability to articulate that. One of the basic facts about Judaism is that at times, men and women express spirituality differently. The tendency of the popular culture is to misconstrue this phenomenon as being anti-woman, yet one of the most important halachas in the entire Torah, found in our Parsha, exposes the weak foundations of this argument. Our Parsha addresses the Jewish people as we're about to enter into the land of Israel and encounter therein many non-Jewish inhabitants. Later in the Prophet and Sefer Shoftim, We see how the Jewish people both worshipped the idols of the nations and married their daughters. And the two issues are related. One of the things I remember so well about my Jewish upbringing was my parents letting me know that they expected me to marry Jewish. And when you think about it, who you marry is a deep reflection of your identity. And in that light, our Parsha gives us an explicit command regarding the Canaanite nations. The Torah says, you shall not intermarry with them. You shall not give your daughter to his son, and you shall not take his daughter for your son. For he will cause your child to turn away from me, and they will worship the gods of others. So the Torah links intermarriage and idolatry because the idolater who marries into your family will turn your grandchild away from the Torah. But what does the Torah mean by the phrase for he will cause your child to turn away? Seemingly, the verse is addressing not only the scenario of a non-Jewish son-in-law, but a non-Jewish idolatrous daughter-in-law. Wouldn't she also turn your grandchild away? Now, according to Rashi, the meaning of this verse is that he, your son-in-law, Will turn your child away from me. In other words, the child of your non-Jewish son-in-law married to your daughter is still considered to be your child. On the other hand, the child of your son and the Canaanite daughter-in-law is, technically speaking, not called your son. Halachically, that child follows the status of the non-Jewish mother and would require conversion. And this halakha is recorded in the Mishnah and Kedushan D'Afsamaq Levam of Beis 66b, which teaches us that as far as national identity, a child follows its mother. Now surely we're all familiar with this idea of matrilineal descent. But take a moment to consider the implication of this. The most fundamental thing about us, the Jewish people, as we entered the land of Israel, was our covenant with Hashem. And the Torah elaborates on that right after this mitzvah. It says, Ki am kadosh atam lahashem malokacha, for you are a holy people unto Hashem your God. Lo merubchem mikol ha'amim ki atam ha'maat mikol ha'amim. Not because you are more numerous than all the peoples that God desire and choose you, for you are the smallest of all peoples. Rather, it's because of God's love for you. Look at what's happening here. The essence of who we are is not our might, but the fact that we're a holy people. How do we transmit that identity? The answer is that it's passed to us through the mother. One of the amazing things about the Torah observant community is that contrary to how we're portrayed in Hollywood, it's commonplace for women to play leadership roles in the general society. Examples of very orthodox women who succeed in secular fields abound. Take Ann Neuberger, a national security advisor to President Biden and devout Orthodox Jew who was featured on the cover of the New York Times this week. Now, perhaps that's an extreme example, but for another point of reference, I remember celebrating a kiddish with a friend when his wife earned her Ph.D. in audiology, and this is a woman who grew up in a very from community. It was not a strange event by any stretch. And yet, as much as women, or men for that matter, succeed in secular fields, There's nothing Judaism values more than the transmission of our identity as a people of a holy covenant. The mother is the transmitter of that covenantal identity. And thinking about in that light, where would you rather be raised? In the home of a wealthy Hollywood star or in a Jewish home, steeped in Jewish values in learning and in traditions? And yet, we come back to a basic question. Because granted, the Judaism traces our identity to the woman, but why is that? Is it perhaps a relic of the ancient world that identity goes to the woman simply because you know who gives birth to a child? In truth, the Torah does trace lineage through men as well, specifically the tribal identity. Whether you are a Levite or whether you're from Yehuda or Yemen is traced through your father. The Torah in the first chapter of Bamidbar instructs us to count people according to their tribes, according to base of osam, according to the father's house. So the Torah delineated differences between new Jew and non-Jew, outlawing intermarriage. And at the same time, within the Jewish people, there's different tribes, each with its own inheritance. While the tribes are differentiated, intermarriage between tribes is a good thing. This Shabbos were about to mark Tubav, the 15th day of Av. According to the Mishnah in Tanit 26b, this was a day of joy in ancient Israel when young Jewish women would go out and seek their match. The Gemara elaborates it was a day in which certain tribal intermarriage bands were overridden. The tribes that earlier withdrawn from intermarrying into Shevet Benjamin, the tribe of Benjamin, following the rape of the woman in Givon in the in the Benjamin territory. And yet, following many years, this decree was rescinded on Etubah Av. And likewise, the daughters of Tzalafchad had earlier agreed to not marry outside their own Menashe tribe in order to keep territory in their Shevet. And this too was rescinded on Etubah Av. In either case, we see a tension that can arise between the tribes. And overcoming that tension is a good thing. People from Binyamin and Yehuda and other tribes should intermarry. But those tribes are defined by the patriarchs. And so some lines go by the father and others by the mother. What's the significance of this difference? While I'm not sure that I can offer a clear philosophical reason for this breakdown, we see two critical things. First is the surprising idea that our most basic identity as Jews comes from the mother. It's counterproductive when modern people who consider themselves feminists reject the matrilineal descent, a clear instance where Jewish tradition promotes the female. But the second thing is the fact that we're seeing here that men and women have different spiritual capacities. Whatever the broader implications, men transmit tribe or family and women transmit nation. This is a uniquely non-Western idea. Men and women have different spiritual tools and even natures that should be celebrated. We live in a world that's hyper-focused on equality. So when modern folks look at our traditions, they may see the differences as degrading. And yet here is a difference between men and women that long precedes modern feminism. And this is a difference that promotes the importance of matriarchs in transmitting what is most sacred about our people. While being a Jewish man and Jewish woman have lots in common, the Torah provides the idea that men and women do tread, at times, different paths, expressing different aspects of our peoplehood. If the male body is sealed with a covenant of bris circumcision, the female body immerses in the living waters of the mikvah. And while a man's body houses the covenant, a woman, too, declares in the birchas hamazon, the benching after meals, that God has sealed the covenant in our flesh because that's exactly what it is. It's our covenant. So in short, the issue of matrilineal descent in contrast with patrilineal tribal descent illustrates how Judaism is unique as an ancient people with its own contours and definitions. We cannot fit the Torah into any pop culture box and it needs to be understood on its own terms. We have a choice to make about our own lives. We might not convince our detractors, certainly not those in Hollywood, but we need to make a couple important efforts. First, we need to get very clear with ourselves, where do we aspire to go in our lives? What does your gut or what does your heart tell you about where you want to go? But once we take that step of knowing our path, We need to accept that there's going to be detractors and defamers. Judaism is a counterculture, and there's precious few people interested in understanding us. But then we still do need to be able to articulate for ourselves who we are. As our rabbis teach us, you need to know how to answer the heretic. It doesn't say we have to convince the heretic, but we have to understand the answer to the problems that they raise. We need to know internally who we are. So we need to delve into our heritage and seek out its meaning on its own terms. And remember, the parsha gives us a very deep clue as to who we are. Lo me It's not because you're more numerous than all the peoples that God desired you, for you are the smallest of all peoples. Ki am Rather, It is because you are a holy people unto Hashem, your God. It's been great to connect with you. I'd love to get more connected. So I want to invite you to follow me on Twitter. My Twitter handle is Rabbi Ken Brodkin. Feel free to follow me, direct message me with any questions or feedback. And while this is generally a weekly podcast, we will return in two weeks time on August 5th. I'm Rabbi Ken Brodkin, and this is the Torah Journey Podcast.